everybody, welcome to another episode of our Mainline Podcast. Today, I am joined by Alex Voronin. He is the Ukrainian founder and leader of Help People NGO, which is the largest emergency evacuation humanitarian organization, which is currently operating in Ukraine amidst the ongoing Russo-Ukrainian war. Also joining us along with Alex is Colton R. Smith, Help People's American representative. Over the past year and a half, often under extremely dangerous circumstances, Help People has successfully evacuated tens of thousands of Ukrainian civilians from front lines and from Russian-occupied areas to safer regions of Ukraine. And they have also distributed humanitarian aid to more than 100,000 Ukrainians living in very hard-hit areas of the country. Alex and Colton join us today on the podcast to discuss their organization's ongoing evacuation and recovery work in Ukraine. And if you want to check the show notes below, you can see multiple ways to support them as well. Before we get started here, check out the Lethal Minds Journal, a veteran in active duty publication focusing on foreign and military affairs, art and culture. Take a look at the journal's bulletin from the Borderlands, a bi-weekly foreign affairs publication from multiple talented intelligence analysts and independent journalists. Head over to lethalmindsjournal.substack.com or Instagram at lethal.minds.journal to see more. Also, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash analyze educate, or you can buy us a coffee as well, ko-fi.com slash analyze and educate. And with that being said, we will head into the episode. Hey, everybody. I'm here with Colton and Alex. How's it going, gents? Fantastic. Good, man. Okay, so I uh, guess starting off, I'll just let you guys introduce yourselves and what it is you guys do. Your first call. Hi, my name is Colton R. Smith. Um, I am a humanitarian worker. I work for Help People NGO. I am the senior liaison um, here in the United States for fundraising. Um, I first got involved in the humanitarian sphere in the aftermath of the Russian full-scale invasion of Ukraine on uh, February 24th, 2022. Um, I ended up quitting my job working at a Mexican restaurant and essentially dropping everything and going over to Poland, where I worked on the Ukrainian border in Poland, helping to get humanitarian aid into the country, uh, which is work that eventually led me to Kiev, to the Ukrainian capital, where I was introduced to Help People NGO, headed by Alex Voronin. And um, that's when I linked up with them to try to get them the fundraising support that they needed to continue the overwhelmingly heroic work that they've been doing since the very first days of this war. And ever since then, a little over a year ago, um, I've done everything in my power to help enlighten Americans and people outside of Ukraine to the incredibly special and courageous work that help people has done in the midst of this profound catastrophe to try to save tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of lives as we all try to endure and overcome this um this this time of severe crisis okay alex yeah thank you brody for inviting us uh, here and um glad to uh, have a word and be a voice of ukraine right right here right now having colton supporting me that in that efforts so i'm ukrainian i'm uh, 36 year old i'm uh, the guy who was uh, an entrepreneur before uh, 2022, before the, uh, the full-scale invasion happened in February. Uh, what I have to, what I have to evacuate my family, and then friends, and all my uh, car fleet. I've been doing automobile business before. I've been procuring cars from American auctions and importing them to Ukraine. And uh, but yeah, the full-scale invasion changed a lot and uh, changed my life completely. At some point in, uh, in March, I realized that uh, the process of evacuation is going so intensive so that I have more than 100 volunteers um, like uh, under control. And uh, we are enjoying our efforts in order to get people evacuated from all um, the front line, actually, which is uh, Kiev, Kharkiv, my, my native city, basically, where I'm born from. Uh, Chernihiv and all other areas. So at the moment, I'm running uh, officially the Help People NGO, 
we took that name just because we were simply uh, aiming to help people in all possible ways and efforts. So we've been delivering humanitarian aid to the one direction and from the other. Uh, on the back side, uh, we evacuating people so that we use our vehicles efficiently. And uh, that's how everything begin. So help people enjoy. We have currently uh, 47 team members. Um, we did uh, uh, evacuated 30 4,000 people, and uh, the number is constantly growing. Uh, we delivered uh, 100,000 of humanitarian aid, um, and uh, we resettled uh, for about 1,300 people so far, and uh, because of, you know, many reasons, and continue doing it. So, yeah, that's quickly about myself, and uh, thank you for that opportunity again. So, Alex, what uh, what was it like in the beginning of the invasion, what what are you doing? What's going through your mind? So I woke up at 4.30 in the morning because of the explosion, very low vibration sound, which I will never you know, forget. And uh, I was likely, you know, lucky because my luggage wasn't unpacked from the previous trip. I took it uh, and called my family, my mother and everyone, my brother and uh, say like we have to be like I have to relocate it to the safe location so I get them on to my car and uh, we start our trip to the west of Ukraine through the horrible traffic there were five lines just on the one line uh, where the highway is uh, supposed to, uh, to pass only two lines of the cars in, in one time um, like uh, the horrible uh, queues on the petrol station um, for just kilometers away. Uh, so I anticipate that one, one, one problem is that I may have out of fuel. The second issue is where to settle, where to go, what's going on. It's been officially announced that the, the full-scale invasion is happening. The Russian Federation invaded to Ukraine and there is no, like, uh, it is not kind of training or anything like this. Um, so people were in panic. Um, I saw many people who just didn't know what to do on the street. And once I delivered my family to the west of Ukraine, where our relatives were, I understand that uh, there are like million people left on the east. And according to a map of the full-scale invasion, uh, many of them require help. And because uh, originally I'm from Kharkiv and I had the office of my company uh, from there like and the city, I had some cars uh, which I was supposed to sell, and uh, I have an idea to do like uh, to use them all. But uh, so what I did, I just made a message in Instagram and say, uh, if anyone needs uh, help, if anyone needs to be evacuated, let me know. We're doing evacuation. I know where to settle. I know the safe roads. I've just uh, arrived to the west of Ukraine. So and my Instagram has just uh, blow up. I had like 100,000 just requests in the very first day. I realized that I personally have no capacity to work uh, through all of them. So I get my uh, team, my company, uh, employees, friends, uh, and uh, many people actually approach to me, say like, Alex, how I can help? I want to help. Let me know what to do. <laughs> it was really funny that some people like feel myself like a guide who were who were doing some something like this for a very long while so I, I feel like this is a mission and uh and I start instructing people get some ladies on board uh men who were able to pick up the phones I give them my uh, access from my Instagram account so that they can execute all the queries that were dropping to uh we we quickly arranged the spreadsheet we built up the tap link uh just for where in the very first day uh for um compiling the application forms uh we start calling people back get them like get get them passionate out so because everyone was in stress and in panic screaming just in and in, in phone asking for a help, like uh, we say, yes, how we can help, where you are, like, oh, please help me, I'm here. I'm there. So people cannot really say where they are, which location they are. So we understand that the massive of the issue, the, 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 um, the scale of the catastrophe is so large that we couldn't really anticipate the full amount of, of, of all the issues, of all the problems, of how the situations turns around. 
and we start I, I'm, I'm just decided we need to be exact and concrete of what and how we can actually help um, because someone offers help someone provides to be a driver other guys like need the help uh, so, some of them asking for some medicine for tourniquets uh, for first aid box uh, and we start segregating the request by type uh, so that's how i realized just in very first days just in the very first days that we have a team already of more than 100 people including um coordinators some drivers uh and and other people who were going to locations where we've been instructing them to go uh one of the situations that i will never forget it's really hard pushing uh, even now I'm feeling uh, emotions because we just gone to the street in the west of Ukraine, came to one grocery to procure some fuel cans uh, in order to procure the, the diesel fuel. And the uh, owner of the shop said, uh, what are you guys doing? What do you, why do you procure in so many cans? Why do you need them all? We said like we're doing evacuation and we need as much as possible because there is no way to procure anything. And he said like, oh guys, you're doing evacuation. Uh, what do you need? What do you need else? How we, how I can help? We said we need blankets. We need um, some water. We need uh, um, like fuel. We need cars. And he said, "Take my car." He just simply handed over keys and and the passport of his car. It was very old cargo van, but it it was really so in time. Uh, so we use it for many months, and it does save so much people lives um so uh that's actually the so every day happens and the time pass as a weeks it was really intensive days we were like almost not sleeping um we were like on a duty with my friends uh, who was surrounding me and uh, and engaging uh, along with me with what we were doing so at some point i think um in a week uh, we've been actively reporting through the Instagram and other sources uh, what we've do done, uh, what we're doing. We start making photo and video of people um, in order to report actually what we have done, because um, at in the first very in the very first week, I understand that my uh, personal money is like going out of uh, limit, and I have simply no money for refueling for for simply for fuel, not saying about anything else. Uh, and I start asking people to support and asking for uh, for any possible uh, way to, I didn't even know how to ask for donation. It was really something different and new for me. I never know what donation mean. I've been, I guy from entrepreneurship and it was really odd for me, but people start proposing help, uh, even my competitors. Uh, who was asking the safe road for evacuation uh, provided $10,000 just in the very first week. Uh, my competitors, uh, it, it's really like really another case which pushed my heart. And I understand that in this moment, we have everyone to be united because uh, we don't have other possibility to survive. Um, this feeling is something that uh, was really persistent uh, all across the volunteers community we've been combining all together and uh, i've been uh, you know like coordinating and instructing people what to do uh, exactly um, what they could do better um, so which instrument to use uh, where to go many of them were proposing help of humanitarian aid so we've been reinforced by some warehouses from the west uh, that they're saying like simply just get a car we will get it loaded with everything we have like with food with water it was really important for very first days because people spending a couple of days just to pass through the traffic from the east of ukraine to the west uh, and there there was nothing uh, and many people were under the shelters under the ground uh, awaiting for them to be uh, rescued by someone and when the driver approaching those locations, they realize that there are hundreds of people there. Many of them get out from the highest floors because of obvious danger and rocket shelling and artillery shelling. And uh, it was cold, it was winter. 
so the temperature sometimes was below 15 degrees Celsius. I think it's like something about 10, 15 Fahrenheit, maybe 20, I'm not entirely sure, but uh, so we use everything uh, in order to help them. Um, and uh, yeah, that's how everything begins. So obviously you guys, you guys do more than evacuations, right? You do humanitarian aid, such as, you know, food and, and medical supplies and stuff like that as well. Yeah, uh, obviously uh, the request, according to requests, which were coming flow through uh, social media and uh, tap link that we've been built out in the very first days in order to separate the flow of requests for proposal or requests for help, uh, what kind of help people need, like we anticipated and uh, registering the messages to provide with tourniquets, with first aid packs, with uh, uh, um, heating items, with water, with uh, food, with uh, because shelters were not really prepared for that work shelter was absolutely empty with everything like there were nothing simply on the ground it was simply you know the, the places under the ground the closest places under the ground so what our driver does we had that idea so get everything as possible in your cargo van or in passenger one uh, we have and deliver it to the location where we do in the evacuation of the people and so they do in drop off of all the humanitarian get people out as much as they can and turn back so we were working 24 hours and uh, and getting more and more drivers into the team. Um, some one of them works for a week, uh, someone for months. Um, some of the drivers works till now. Um, and I think um, in the second month of our operation, we've done a first turn uh, of... Uh, it, it was actually this fourth week, I think fourth week. Uh, so the, uh, the March months... When we first time uh, um, gathered all necessary resources, vehicles, so we can, so we could make evacuation from Kiev, Kharkiv, uh, Kherson Oblast, Mykolaiv, along with uh, Mariupol. So we were we were all aware that Mariupol is actually in really critical state and it's most actively. Uh, under the shelling and active bombarding. And we were trying to put our resources to, to evacuate people from here. And th this is when uh, we made our first try, uh, made our first try to evacuate people from Mariupol. And this is actually where our drivers get have been arrested in a, in a second day of, of the journey. Um, uh, so we had uh, a team of uh, nine people uh, nine drivers, nine cars, nine uh, microbuses, uh, vans simply, passenger vans. And in order for them to pass and go to and went to Mariupol, they had to pass through 29 checkpoints of uh, armed forces of Radio Russian Federation, Chechens, DNR, uh, separatists, 29 checkpoints. Uh, and uh, we, 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 we have been prepared near this mission for, for one week or we really was struggling because of the time and situations that was happening there. And we couldn't really wait too much longer. So we give it a go and they, they go into that location. And uh, um, we, we so obviously because of the limit in network uh, coverage, so we lose the communication with that. We lose a kind of um, way to communicate with them. and. Uh, we expecting them to come home like uh, to their neighbors like or friends or uh, uh, some of them having relatives in there and make a call from Mariupol. But uh, in a day or even on the second day, there were nothing. So silence, no one's get get back to us, no feedback. We start nervous and uh, because the people drivers i call them angels they understand where they are going so they are always there were always a possibility to die just on the road uh just under the shelling but um um this is one of the reasons why we why we combined the team of 10 people so we believe that at least one of them uh will be available to get our call us a call and inform about the situation and uh, this is actually what's happened so after four days, if I'm not mistaken, 
one of the driver was lucky enough to get out from uh, from the prison because he was local. He has local passport registration, the car on local plates, and, uh, and the separatists who arrested them. Um, they believe him and believe that he was actually uh, went to his family and uh, he brought uh, some food and humanitarian from Zaporizhia. And that's how he escaped and informed us that all of other people, along with many other volunteers, was arrested at the one day. Um, and were, they were prisoners and they've been kept um, in a prison for another 100 days. So um, that's... Uh, that's where we actually were lucky enough after 100 days to get them out, but it was really not something trivial to do. Um, so we were doing evacuation every day, like nonstop, no weekends, nothing like this. Uh, any three shifts sometimes, uh, even overnight, despite of the car through and all the limits, um, we simply making the volunteer uh, sign on a car and uh, we've been you know, in negotiation with armed forces of Ukraine, we know where the checkpoints are placed. Uh, we were calling the checkpoints, uh, the coordinators calling checkpoints and saying like, they're going to be a volunteer driving over the night. Please pass them through. We are help people organizations, <laughs> but we haven't been really officially even established it uh, this time. So, but this is how was everything working in warehouse. But that's how we managed to evacuate for first thousand of people out. Uh, in parallel, um, I am with my team was was uh, actively working with uh, military forces to get the car through passes to be to register the NGO to you know get all necessary legal side of things in place in order to get uh, fundraising in place, which is vital since now uh, for many people. And uh, we start procuring uh, vans because many people. Um, refuse to do this work uh, or refuse to give their car for this work because you know it's really dangerous we've been uh, several of our cars were destroyed under the shelling just on the road other of them just get to the traffic um, so uh, we understand that and we realize that we have to procure more vans uh, more cars and i procured the first one for my own money and uh, uh, right after we evacuate all the cars uh, there were still some people who offering their cars to be used for the same purpose, uh, just simple SUVs or uh, a sedan or whatever. But uh, that's how we understood that we have to go um, and uh, and to the wider audience. Um, and I think on the second week, uh, I've been approached by uh, a one guy, election cash from the uh, United States of America. He's actually um the the guy who um, um immigrated to united states in 19s and he is well known in jewish community in and russian community and ukrainian community in united states so he starts helping us a lot he said like what do you guys need how i can help uh you help my family my friend's family to be evacuated from the Turetsk, and that's how i know about you so my like friend of mine like passed me over your contact so i want to help you much because i'm really experienced it and uh, just give me an idea what do you need i said we need fuel we need uh vans we need uh, uh, costs for the fixing of those vans because they're constantly getting getting to the you know issue uh they require maintenance uh, fix on the road um and he started fundraising campaign on gofundme it's still actually valid. It's still operational, operational, and uh, that's how, like, some people were starting approaching us and proposing some help. Um, we're still doing fundraising actively. Uh, we already, um, uh, I think, having was was one in partnership with more than twenty partners uh, all around the world, the global charity foundations, and so far we have been invested. 22 uh, uh, sorry 20 but uh, 2 million almost 2 million uh, united states dollars uh in everything that we've done so so far it's uh, 34000 people evacuated from both occupied territory and deoccupied territory um we settled 1400 uh 
plus people and feed it more than 100,000. So those figures are constantly growing. Just not to forget, uh, uh, it is also concerns to about 1,000 of animals we've been able to get out from uh, cages and from, uh, you know, difficult zones. Um, so pretty much uh, all figures, all KPIs we currently measure. So just for you to give an idea, uh, we are running our organization for 20 months already, uh, one year and a half. Um, and uh, we just recently had to stop our uh, operation because of really, really un un uh, unforeseen uh, the budget shortage. Um, so we're still getting hundreds uh, requests from occupied territory for the people who are willing to be evacuated, along with uh, the front lines, the the, the cities of Helson where the shelling is uh, still active. So I, I and Colton are actively working right now in order to backfill this gap and uh, get large funds, uh, fund, uh, charity foundations, uh, um, provide our help um, help for us but it's taken a while because you know our charity foundation and grant application process is something which is taking months sometimes you know and so. and if i might jump in here really quick just to compliment what alex is saying um alex is an extremely humble man the organization that he started and leads is incredible the work that they've done is unlike just about any humanitarian organization that is involved in this war. Um, they are the largest evacuation organization in Ukraine. They've evacuated more people than any organization that's currently operating in Ukraine, totaling 33,808 people exactly right now, um, almost 1,500 of whom have come from the occupied territories. 102,000 Ukrainians have received direct humanitarian aid from Help People's Drivers. And I mean, the Ukrainian government is absolutely swamped trying to keep the lights on and the um, the front lines stable and on the offensive. And so they rely on the NGOs to be able to evacuate people. They don't have the resources to be able to do it themselves. And so the Ukrainian government relies on help people in order to evacuate people, especially from the occupied territories. Help people is one of only two organizations that does evacuations from the Russian occupied territories of Ukraine. And as of right now, we have more than 500 applications for requests for evacuation from the, the temporarily occupied territories in the South and the East. Um, and we wanna fulfill every single one of those. And um, as he said, we've, we've had a stoppage just several weeks ago. I think, what, about two weeks ago now, um, we had to stop our daily evacuation efforts. And to put that into perspective, before the stoppage, essentially from February 24th, 2022, the day of the full-scale invasion, help people was evacuating people every single day. In the last several months, the lowest number of people evacuated in a single day was 30. The highest was over 400. So every single day up until the stoppage between 30 and 400 people and numbers every single day in that range, I saw them every single day through our Telegram internal um, group chat, along with all the photos. Um, many, 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 many tens of thousands of people successfully evacuated over the course of the last year and a half or so. And it was between 30 and 400 every single day. Unfortunately, as of right now, for the last two weeks or so, that number has dropped dramatically um, as a result of our unforeseen budgeting um, crisis that we currently find ourselves in. Now, we're working on overdrive many, many hours every single day to really promote um, the organization and really just get the word out. Because what I always say is that one of the worst sins is ignorance just simply not knowing the reality about what help people does in Ukraine. And fundamentally, there are just way, way, way too few people who know the work that help people does every single day. This is one of the most transparent organizations that I have ever seen. They're one of the most honest. Um, they have all of their receipts readily available to any donors. Um, there's uh, very little 
as I would like to say, bullshit that goes on um, within the organization, which is very common in the humanitarian sphere and in the NGO sphere in general. Yeah. Um, you don't really get very much of that at all within Help People. They are a team of 47 incredible professionals that have one goal in mind, and that's to help Ukrainians endure and overcome this war with whatever they can. And I mean, the results have been astounding. One, I think it's like $1,950,000 has been spent so far in, in this effort. And the results are profound. Over 100,000, 102,000 people provided with direct humanitarian aid, 33,800 native evacuated, 1,500 uh, 1, from occupied territory. And we want to do so much more. And there still is so much more to do. Um, this, this We're in this for the long haul. We have a... Uh, we have a lot of plans for the future um, in terms of like other things that we would like to pursue, including uh, the reconstruction of houses that have been damaged and destroyed in, that, in this war. We've already successfully completely renovated two um, in the Kherson region, which were devastated by the Novokohovka flooding disaster. Um, and we have extensive plans to actually build entire settlements from scratch in order to successfully house 550 people per um, housing complex. So um, we have our work cut out for us. We are overwhelmingly engaged every day. It's a true honor to do whatever I can do in order to help this organization be as successful as they can be. Because, you know, I, I was on a trajectory to become a history professor. I was going to go off and get my PhD. Well, this has now taken complete precedent. This is way, way, way more important um, because this organization is one of the greatest organizations that I have ever had the honor to personally know. And I want to do whatever I can do in order to help them be successful. And I, I have found a lot of incredible support here in the United States. Um, for Help People's Mission. And I hope that anybody listening to this can give whatever they can to help us continue our mission, um, to get people away from the front lines, to get people out of occupation and back to Ukrainian controlled territory. We have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of requests for evacuation. $34 is what it costs on average to evacuate one person from frontline areas. $304 is the average cost to evacuate people from occupation. Um, and we want to fulfill all of these requests that we have because people severely need help. And um, we have our work cut out for us. Yeah, just a, a quick note on that. When I was talking to you guys last week when we were at lunch, I mean, you guys made it clear that obviously you have a, a pretty big backlog of people from occupied territories that want to get out. And the the longer those people sit there, the, you know, the more risk, um, they take right because if you're if you're found uh you know wanting to get out by russian troops you're, you're probably not going to have a good time exactly the this number is always uh, accumulating it's growing sometimes we lose people uh we lose the way uh, to communicate people they are not able to make a call again if we not provide the the help immediately and not instruct them what to do uh, how to stay online which uh, channels to use um, you know, um, Russian Federation now. Uh, so as you may anticipate, uh, since uh, last uh, September, end of September, when uh, the last humanitarian corridor, which were connecting Ukraine and occupied territory was bombarded and we lost uh, people there. So we lost all possibility to evacuate people directly. So there is no longer a direct way of doing things. Uh, we have to do a long round, a uh, long, long way of two weeks to get people out uh, from through and out the Russian territory, through the Tagan Road, up to um, Belgorod, and then through the Belarusia, and then only to Europe or to Ukraine. And um, in order to make that path, uh, first of all, they have to exit from the occupied territory. And since Russian Federation are not allowed people to pass uh the border now because simply people might have so people simply cannot pass the border without a russian passport they are not accepting ukrainians uh very frequently uh passports and and there are like uh a guide of 20 points bullet points that have to be implemented before family gets prepared for evacuation so you know the work is really 
uh, tough uh, and uh, it's still risky. Uh, it's taking long, it's expensive, but uh, we were able to get it down uh, and uh, because we were lucky enough to establish our volunteering community on the other side of, uh, of you know, of Ukraine uh, on the, you know, occupied territory and in other regions. So I'm, I'm glad you brought up Russian passports because I wanted to ask you um, what the situation was like after the, the dam at Novokokovka, I think I'm saying that kind of right, after that was destroyed. Obviously you had a, you had a pretty big issue. You had issues on both sides, right? Both the Ukrainian controlled territories and Russian controlled and the people in Russian controlled territories, I mean, really, you got screwed over if you didn't have a Russian passport. They kind of just left you to, to fend for yourself, from what I understand. Yeah. So on the left coast, which is under control of Russian, uh, obviously, um, people are in the worst condition because uh, when Novokovka Dam floods happen, I was really shocked that they are keeping people as uh, hostages. So despite all the horrible situation with uh, water level, which was increasing every day uh, for the first week, and uh, some people have to stay on the roof for one week and longer, uh, they were not allowing any humanitarian boat to come close and provide with humanitarian aid or with some clothes with you know covers or blankets. They were uh, shutting, they were shelling, they were actively shelling and kill number of volunteers. Um, and uh, that was really horrible. So when you see people, they're like nearby, but you cannot save them because there are Russians who are striking. And uh, there were several lucky operation of de delivery food via drones, but uh, many drones were intercepted uh, still. So um, yeah, I think you said drones were being shot down, right? Yeah, they've been shut down. Yeah, they've been shut down. And uh, yeah, so after those couple of tries, uh, even successful, uh, it was really uh, impossible to continue doing it because, well, uh, unfortunately, we have not so many resources to do it. So we were lucky enough to uh, quickly procure uh, the six motorboats uh, using which we delivered uh, food and humanitarian aid, as well as evacuate number of people, like eight thousand number of people eight thousand six hundred something people uh for eight hundred children yeah and the children included from the right coast side which was under control of uh, ukrainian army a uh, number of villages were separated from the uh, ground and there were no communication by road or even like no way to communicate at all that's uh, where those boats were in really really in use and in high need uh, we established humanitarian tents. Uh, um, uh, we enabled the warehouse uh, in Kherson city, uh, in which we were like uh, offloading all the humanitarian aid and then distributed among the villages. And we were actually doing it still now. Um, so a long time passed, but uh, people still don't have water. So after two or three weeks, if I'm not mistaken, the level of water goes down drastically uh so but now the the another issue appear once water get out there is no way for people to get water so there is no purified water no technical water there is uh no aqueducts uh, there is no irrigation system um so and uh, winter is upcoming and we already delivering and continue doing it with all our um, senior donors distribution of purified water um the stoves uh, for which people can, which people can use during the winter, uh, we deliver in the wood because there is really danger to go in the forest and get some wood because they are mined, and uh, the you know probability to get uh, you know to, to step on the mine is really high. There are already many cases when people get died because of the mining of the forest uh, you know lines. So for that reason, we have to deliver such exactly humanitarian as wood, even simple wood, yeah, or something like this, which can be used for burning and heating. Um, so we have a long, long list of what is needed for humanitarian, uh, for winterization. We call it winterization preparation for exactly this region, for Kherson, 
which have been uh, so actually that catastrophe that flood affected almost like more than one hundred thousand people. Um, it's uh, it's uh, the number uh, which require as minimum humanitarian aid as maximum people wish to be evacuated and wish to be settled somewhere. Another reason uh, why we came to establishing uh, the shelters and temporary houses is because at the sixth month of Help People operation last year, we understand that, okay, we're doing evacuation uh, like uh, well, but we don't have place for people to be like settled. There is no way to sell people. Every single uh, sh shelter has been occupied. No, no more available places. People need to live somewhere. And uh, of course, they could live like a couple of weeks or months in a gym, in a kindergarten or in a school, which were all occupied. But OK, what, what to do with, uh, with the, you know, the beginning of September when the uh, people start educating, kids start educating. So uh, we understand that the reality in Ukraine uh, and with the settlement is going worse and worse. Uh, for which reason um, we established a humanitarian hub in Kherson. We built up, uh, thank you to United uh, USAID a Charity Foundation, uh, the largest one, one of the largest one we've been working with, who uh, funded us enough in order for us to build up the temporary houses over here. We built it, um, eight uh, houses, uh, small like, containers, uh, container-like, which are capable to cope up to four people at one. Uh, so that's how we start our first, first like settlement uh, uh, um, in in that region, along with the service station, uh, warehouse, and petrol station. But um, at the moment, we understand that during the winter season, uh, people will be. Um, more demanding the evacuation from the Hearthstone and other areas which were affected. Um, yeah. Yeah, so you guys definitely have your, uh, your work cut out for you. Yeah, exactly. We need to already put our efforts for building the temporary houses or reconstructing some buildings that are more likely are fitting requirements uh, It could be rebuilt or reconstructed for the settlement purpose. Yeah, so and I might add really quick, um, something that we did somewhat recently, we installed a water gen system in a village in Herson, which is incredible state-of-the-art technology that literally takes the condensation from the air and makes clean drinking water from it it's a well is not needed and a, a, an outside water source other than the air is not needed um, and it generates clean drinking water um, and in so many places in the Herson region um, they don't have that as a result of the Novokohovka flood disaster so we successfully installed that um, with the help of some incredible uh, large donors here in the United States, um, and we hope to do more. Um, there's a lot of help that's needed in that region. Um, you know, our, our mission statement is find rescue and recovery, and the vast majority of our efforts has definitely consumed the first two parts of that mission, but recovery is a very, very vitally important part of all of this which includes, you know, we've done a lot of humanitarian aid distribution, yes, um, but we also want to help get people back on their feet so that they can see an end to this, um, to see the return of normalcy. Um, something that has been, you know, ever present ever since I went over and did my work in Poland and in Ukraine was just how precious normality is. Like something that we here in California take for granted, like, you know, we just want things to be boring again. I've heard Ukrainians say that before. It's like, can't we just like have clean drinking water? No more sirens. Can I, my house isn't going to collapse. There's not going to be a wave of floodwaters coming. 
So we we want to do everything in our power to help Ukrainians move past this um, via the reconstruction of damaged homes, distribution of humanitarian aid, uh, building new settlements, temporary homes, um, getting people uh, the water testing kits that they need to be able to make sure that the water that they're drinking and using is safe, um, and the installation of these state-of-the-art um, uh, the, this water gen system that pulls condensation from the air and makes clean drinking water from it. How much? Uh, how much water can that produce? It's pretty. It, it it can produce when depends on the air uh, humidity, but uh, up to like almost ninety nine hundred liters a day. Oh wow! Yeah. So uh, yeah, and we made it uh, like in a smart way. We've procured the diesel generator, three phases diesel generator for 380 watts, which are capable to make it uh, make the station mobile. We put all, all together in one cargo van, uh, which is allowed the system to be uh, moving back and forth all across the region where it's mostly demanded. Uh, produce the water on the on the run and then just uh, stay for a couple of days uh, so that people can refill their um, uh, their cans uh, and then you know go another round. So because um, for some reason the Kherson region was was like uh, was has has the channeling system to the Dnipro which were uh, disrupted uh, by that uh, damage, by, by that flood, um, by the dam uh, disruption. And, uh, and for some reason, the drilling of the ground is not uh, resolving the situation. So, so the water is really deep over that region for some reason, and it's really complicated to establish new drills, uh, dr drill holes to, to get the water from the ground. And uh, the, the, financially, it is more... Uh, economically reasonable to uh, deliver the water, purified water, or to use that system as we as we've been uh, procured recently, um, uh, which can get uh, the purified water from the air. Uh, we call it uh, water again, water again system. Uh, yeah, so it's invention of one of the Israel uh, company actually, which is now also is under the shelling and active uh, bomb merging. So. Yeah, situation getting worse and worse in the world. So I know uh, the the government really isn't isn't able to help people evacuate. They rely on you, and I think Colton said one other organization to do that. Can the same be said with things like providing food and water to people in Kherson? The thing is, for all the uh, operation I manage in uh, since the beginning of full scale invasion, we haven't. Despite of many queries, asks, calls, we haven't been provided with any kilo of humanitarian aid uh, or liter of diesel. Or uh, uh, we've been simply provided with no resource uh, by the government. Despite we know that there are many uh, very houses that are full of humanitarian, which were you know, and it's not not only my opinion. We've been working with like hundred. Uh, the charity foundation and volunteers who've been trying to approach those uh, resources but haven't really get them uh, because of the bureaucracy uh, because of the uh, like number of dozen requests and approvals and in the end you get nothing even if you pass through it um, so we've been uh, we have a memorandum in place though with the minister of reintegration of occupied territory which uh, in fact has been provided us with car free passes several times for almost two years. Um, we were lucky enough to get them so that our drivers could work uh, and drive during the night safely. Uh, we've been uh, uh, signing the uh, memorandum with uh, uh, mayor of Militopol, who is actually uh, currently located in Zaporizhia. And uh, th this, is, this is actually from where we got a demand of at least 200 people to be evacuated from the occupied territory every month like it is minimum value like uh, like higher than 200 uh, it is going to be most likely as usual if we have enough resources in place because government doesn't really able and capable to manage all that uh, 
all that operation because they're being done by simple people, by simple volunteers who doesn't have even NGO or any like, uh, you know, uh, official organization or something. So government officially cannot pay to the, you know, to the occupied territory, pay the money. Yeah. And, but actually, even even uh, organizations, so they were, even if we, I don't know if they have resources, if they have budgets for this, but uh, they were never proposing something like this. All, all the times when we were coming to them and say like, we have a, like, a financial sh shortage, we have no money for fuel even now. They said, oh, sorry, we cannot help. Like there is a charity foundations, like we can connect you with them and that's it. Um, that's really odd. Um, maybe, I don't know, uh, for which reason they're doing this. Maybe they do really have no funds for this, but uh, the reality is so. Uh, we are as a self-sustainable organization, have to fundraise, have to maintain all our car fleet, personnel, manage to pay them premium salaries, uh, rent the office, call center, um, like manage the payments to the abroad, to, you know, the territory of Belarus, uh, for the, you know, for for hostels, for, for churches sometime. Actually, so the community on the other side is helping us with uh, um, uh, retaining people for a couple of days to have them rest uh, before they move forward when we're doing long run evacuation from the occupied territory. So we collaborate with churches, we collaborate with many, many different uh, volunteering community and NGOs on the other coast, on the other side of the board uh, to get this mission done. So uh, government doesn't have these possibilities, unfortunately. We also do working with the uh, Ombudsman office uh, in Ukraine in order to uh, get back kidnapped kids, um, which is uh, currently under the large, you know, um, so I'm not trying to, I'm, I'm trying not to tell a lot about this, but this is also what is happening in, in scope of Help People project. So uh, just to give you an idea to, uh, research and find and prove uh, the location of one kid it may take at least one month of time and uh, as minimum like or something about three thousand uh, united states dollars just to get to find the guy to prove to get all the legal side of papers prepared and uh, prepare all the mission so that it's safe to get the guardian to make all the negotiations to sign the contracts to get those guardian abroad and so that's how he can came to a facility where this kid had been kept for a long time and 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 provide legal papers saying like this is my kid i i want him to be right now with myself and move it to where i want to the safe location of ukraine um, and it's really a complicated and risky operation uh, and we cannot really spread so many details uh, about it but it is also what is happening so far. Uh, Minister of Ministry of Reintegration um, officially confirming the total number of such uh, status kids more than twenty thousand, uh, and and its number is, this number is growing. So kids who were kidnapped, and uh, yeah, it's always growing. God, that's horrible. Yeah, and I'm sure the, the number is really much larger than that in all reality. What, um, what are some of the challenges you guys face? Obviously, you guys have talked a lot about fundraising. What else are you are you trying to work around? I think um, the most uh, challengeable way uh, as of now is to uh, retain uh, the team of professionals because, you know, People are um, don't do the work. They are uh, slightly working for help people, and uh, we have to pay salary for you know for for a long while already uh, because we uh, retaining uh, um, really senior people, uh, very senior drivers who are not just simply drivers, but they are kind of paramedics. They are psychologists. They are drivers who well know what to do. Uh, they are kind of distressed because we like trying hard to get them you know uh, provided with mental health uh, assistance uh, for all the period uh, it is cars which are always um, like uh, require maintenance and repair yeah but it's all like related to funding but apart from this um, 
we never know when the shelling came from. So we have to be really flexible. We have to, uh, um, you know, like uh, be prepared for 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 anything like Novakovka dam leakage. Um, for that reason, we are always uh, trying to consider the smart approaches and uh, and uh, to be uh, in a very well shape, align it, be prepared, uh, be motivated. So for myself personally, it's required to work with team constantly uh, and get them motivated, uh, you know, to keep them uh the right work and the life balance uh, so dozen time is going for this mm. uh, the bureaucracy bureaucracy of the government is is you know something which is making our life harder uh with we, we are struggling with the actually intelligence so that's what, what we can be use it really is an intelligence on location of the kids if anyone know the location of some kids particularly that will be really useful for us because even even some information may be useful so supply it straightforward uh, if you have it uh, through our site through our social media to direct uh, so that how our team can work with this information and continue our research and uh, searching and rescuing kids uh, who were kidnapped by russian federation um Mm, Colton, do you have anything to add from your end? Yeah, two main words come to mind, the biggest problems. Um, number one is compassion fatigue. Nobody thought that this war was going to go on for as long as it has. And I mean, nobody on either yeah. side. So um, we're getting to a place where we have to have sustained operations and this is a humanitarian crisis that is going to go on longer than anybody anticipated it to initially um you know help people started as expecting this to go on for several weeks and then people could go home and here we are <laughs> so um you know compassion fatigue is a major part of this um to make sure that people don't lose sight of the brutal reality of what's going on every day right now, because every single day people are dying in Ukraine, sometimes in horrible ways. Um, people are living under occupation. People are fearing what tomorrow will bring. Um, I mean, I know one of the things that led me to go over was I, I couldn't keep living my life here in California when the war broke out. I remember I was working at a Sinaloa cafe in Morgan Hill and when in the first week of the invasion we have all these flat screens inside the restaurant and every single screen was different news channels talking about the war and it's buildings on fire it's tanks firing at buildings it's soldiers it's Zelensky on tv and all of these headlines about the russian armies here the russian armies there they're outside of kiev they've taken over sumi they've taken over cherniv so on and so forth um they're coming up from the south they've just taken Kherson. um you know mariupol's under attack etc cetera, etc cetera. and my entire life felt like i was underwater um everything just ceased to matter beyond this i couldn't sleep i was up late every night on the phone with my friends reading all the updates on telegram i couldn't be happy i was i essentially fell into depression and i realized pretty much immediately like i i don't know what i i don't know what i can do but i need to do something and i remember i went to work one day and one of my coworkers was like Colton, you, you, why are you so upset? Like you, you, you never, you don't smile. You don't not smile very much. And I was like, do you look at the TVs? And they were like, yeah, well, there's nothing you can do about it. So get back to work. And that was kind of the moment that like sparked a fire in me where I was like, you know what? I don't think you're right. I don't know what I can do, but I don't think nothing is the answer. And so obviously, like I, I went and did, I quit my job then and that, not then and there, but within a couple of weeks. Um, and I went and did what I did. And here I am now, um, no longer a waiter. Um, but like, I think the moral from that is that there's something that everybody can do. Even if you can only spare one donation of $34, that will help get one person away from the front lines, 304 out of occupied territory. And that's it. I mean, and you can do so much more than just that. I mean, you can promote, help people on your social media, tell other people that we exist, point other people to the fact that help people exist so that we can potentially find new 
funding opportunities so that we can keep doing this. So, you know, compassion fatigue is a major problem in this, but it's something that I am wholly confident that we can completely overcome. And that's not because of anything that I've done. And it's because of everything that Alex Veronin and the rest of the help people team have done over the last year and a half in Ukraine, their work, their work speaks for itself. And I'm just speaking their work to an American audience so that people can understand the gravity of the situation and the incredibly heroic things that help people has done. So I would say that's the main thing. And secondarily, very briefly, um, you know, uh, I would say that despair is another thing that um, is a problem, and yet it's not. And that's one of the most beautiful things that I've seen in the midst of this crisis. Like when I was in cave and the air raid sirens would go off and we would have to evacuate down underground, um, people are sipping their lattes, laughing, smiling, joking. And I turned to my, to my, uh, my, my colleague and was like, nobody's scared. And one of our Ukrainian colleagues was like, this is at that point, he was like, this has been happening for five months now. Like, you, you can't be under the constant stress, like you, because panic will kill you faster than a bullet. I'll never forget that. And so it has been I mean, it used to make me choke up talking about this, but I've talked about it so much now, just the incredible endurance of the Ukrainian people to overcome this and you know this is just life now like you go to cave and people still go to bars they go to cafes like until the air raid sirens go off and even then like a large percentage of people don't go for the shelters because in their words and the words that people told me i'm not gonna let that son of a bitch vladimir putin dictate to me the way that i live my life i'm not gonna let that terrorist win so no every time the sirens go off i'm not gonna go running for a bunker and so I think there's something incredibly beautiful about that. So initially you would expect, oh, this war has gone on for as long as it has. The people must be in despair. No, they're not. Like the Ukrainians, are, they, they've endured so much throughout their history and just throughout this war in particular, and they can endure so much more. And the support of the international community has been one of the things that has helped Ukrainians to still be able to keep a positive mindset. And you would think that if we Americans would fall into a situation like the Ukrainians are facing, that there would be, you know, mass suicide and alcoholism and like society would descend into chaos. Um, that is not what has happened in Ukraine. People have banded together. People care about strangers. I mean, essentially everybody that helped people has evacuated has been a complete stranger. And so like the, the incredible amount of resilience that Ukrainians have shown is something that continuously inspires me. Um, and so I would say that despair would be a problem, only it's not because it's Ukraine. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, yeah, I think you put it great. I mean, I think Ukrainians are are widely known for their resilience. So there is a war of, um, I, I call it the light and darkness and uh, the true and lie. So Ukrainian on, on its way, uh, I'm as Ukrainian and uh, our, my culture, my people are, as Ukrainian are on the path of light, are on the path of light and of true. So we decided this way, we decided to be with the Western community. Uh, we decided to do our uh, business like this and uh, not fell in lie like uh, which is happening actually in Russia. So, um, and uh, yeah. We just need a support. We just need some praise uh, for us and uh, you know, and blessing, which we already does have. Uh, but we still need uh, to be, um, you know, in, in power and enough uh, resources having in order to uh, to get this resistance stay um, to be, you know, uh, in a well condition to uh, to stay more and resist more. Because you know, no one know how how long this war may take. Maybe it's just another year. Maybe it is another five years. So, yeah, yeah. So, so tell the tell the people some ways that they could help. Yeah. So any way of uh, any way possible to support us to to make a sustainable monthly small donation through Patreon is also useful. Really, uh, our Patreon currently have a subscription like thirty eight subscription only, but for eight hundred sixty dollar uh so this is the amount that we monthly obtaining and straightforward submitting to the evocation of the people 
So it's already uh, so massive help uh, kind of sustainability for our team. So um, I would I would really uh, I would my dream is to have it like as, as large as number as possible so that we can get more people out consistently or to allocate this money for um, reconstruction or for building new settlements for those who we need. And uh, thank you to you, um, Brody, for hosting us. It's really amazing opportunity. Yeah, thank you guys for being on. I'm, I'm glad I could have you and I'm glad you're able to tell the story of, of your organization and what you guys do. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Colton. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you everyone who listening to us and who making this support contingent. Oh, actually, before you guys go, where where can uh, where can everybody find you? Where can they donate and, and see your uh, see your work? Yeah, so we have helppeople.org.ua uh, website with uh, with donate or help button. We do have uh, uh, Instagram, uh, Reddit, uh, Twitter. Uh, I use my personal accounts in order to share what we've been done. So my name is Varonin uh, Alexi. You can find so basically all this. Uh, messages all those social media um, channels are uh, in our website so simply going to the website well we'll direct you on the way you can donate and help us and connect contact with us and also if you have anyone who needs help in ukraine who needs to be provided with humanitarian aid or who is uh, approaching you to for the help of a vocation you may uh, you may you know uh, uh, fulfill the application form or submit our email it's publicly available uh, through the contact uh, page on our website so that we can step in and help those who need it. Okay, great. Yeah, thank you guys both for your time again. Thank you, Brody. Thank you. Slava Ukraini. Okay, everybody, I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. And of course, thank you to Alex and Colton for coming on and, and telling the story of their NGO and the good work they're able to do. Again, if you want to support them, there are multiple ways to do so. You could find all those links in our show notes. And of course, I want to thank you all for supporting this podcast. It means a lot to me. You could find this podcast on your favorite apps. That includes Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen, we're there. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Analyze Educate. That is all one word. We are also on Telegram at the same name. Please consider supporting us again at Patreon, patreon.com slash analyze educate or at ko-fi, ko-fi.com slash analyze educate. Be sure to leave us a five-star rating on the app used to listen to this podcast. That helps us out a lot as well as all I have for you guys right now. I'll see you soon.